because communion is one of these great uh, ceremonies that Jesus Himself instituted for us as a means of celebrating and entering into by way of our own practice in our in, with our body and in our life and acting uh, the things that pertain to the gospel. A few weeks ago, we celebrated baptism, which is about the fact that we have new life in Christ and that as we uh, put our faith in Him, our old life is buried and our sins are washed away and we are raised to newness of life because of our relationship to God in Christ. And what we are celebrating here in communion is the means by which that occurs. That by the breaking of Jesus' body, by the shedding of His blood, we are reconciled to God. That our, our sins are canceled out. And we are able to come into relationship with God. And it is through the sacrifice of Christ. And so we're celebrating the sacrifice of Christ at one level. We're also celebrating the transformation we have of not only relationship with God, but relationship with one another, that we are in communion with God and with one another, the members of the body of Christ. Uh, and that's why we have this fellowship meal, if you will, that we participate in, which is symbolic of a much greater fellowship meal that we will one day enjoy. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Well, we will, we will be with God and we will eat with Him and Jesus will sit down at table with us and we will fellowship together and celebrate the reality that we have been forever made right with God and reconciled to Him. And so uh, that's what communion is about. I want to read you uh, some of the instructions here uh, about communion. Uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 11, Paul gives these instructions, uh, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Now here at Chillicothe Bible Church, it's our custom to uh, to pass the bread out uh, to everyone who is a believer in Christ. Uh, because if you're not a believer in Christ, this is a ceremony without any real meaning or spiritual nourishment available to you. Uh, it's a celebration of a relationship with Christ which needs to precede this event to have any meaning. But if you are a believer in Christ, we encourage you to take of the bread. And we wait until everybody has been served, uh, that we can all celebrate together because it is together that we enjoy communion and fellowship with God. Amen? So, uh, so uh, at this time, let's distribute the bread.
is amazing. It is amazing. I am continually amazed that the God who made all things loves me and loves you. And in His love for us, He laid down His life for us. His body was broken. He was whipped, beaten, spit upon, his beard pulled out, crowned with thorns, nailed to a rough wooden cross, hung naked between earth and sky, bled, suffered, suffocated, and died. Then was speared, and blood and water flowed. And in the breaking of his body came my healing and yours. Because in the, in the breaking of the body of Jesus, we have the promise that our body will one day be renewed. That this body which is failing and fading and sickened and graying, whose joints wear out, whose teeth, whose teeth wear out, whose hair falls out and turns gray. This body will one day be transformed. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. One day, in the twinkling of an eye, where the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise 
And we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the air, and we will be with the Lord. Amen? Our body will be transformed. And we're waiting for our transformation, and we celebrate today in anticipation of that glorious moment. So let's celebrate what Christ has done. Father, we thank You. We thank You that through the sacrifice of Christ, through the breaking of His body, comes the healing of the One that we possess. And that because we are part of Your body, we can partake of Your body and remember that Jesus Christ died for me. Father, help us never to forget. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, it's our custom here at Chillicothe Bible Church to uh, wait until all have been served that we might all celebrate together. stained he washed it white as snow Jesus paid it all all 
to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. The scripture says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white like wool. And also it says here in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We celebrate what Christ has done for us. We celebrate the fact that through his blood, Spilled on the cross, the final sacrifice has been made by our great high priest. And there need never be any other one. We can look back on what Jesus has done and celebrate it until he comes for us. So until he comes to Christ. God, our Heavenly Father, we are undeserving and ill-deserving of such great love. We do not earn and cannot deserve the grace that we have received in Christ by which our sins are canceled out and we are made sons of the King. Father, we are grateful and we love you and we celebrate what Christ has done here this morning and we are eagerly anticipating on pens and needles the return of the King for His children. And Father, we long for You. And we pray that You would reveal Yourself to us in Your Word. And as we pray this morning, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we are looking at God's Word in the book of Ephesians. Amen? We have studied three whole chapters, in fact, about God's love for us and how God, uh, how the Gospel reveals God's love to us and how God's love expressed in the Gospel saves all kinds of people from every tribe and nation and every kind of sin. And we have begun seeing here in chapter 4 how the Gospel then has a transformative effect on those who believe it and thereby become God's children. It transforms our relationship with one another, in fact. Because love from God results in love for God and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that love shows up in unity among us that reflects our relationship with the triune God and it exhibits itself in things like humility and gentleness and patience and love. That takes us up through verse 6, remember? And it results in a growing Christian maturity 
to look at the at where we have been in chapter four so far, that our Christian maturity ought to grow more and more, such that who we are in our character increasingly comes to resemble the stature of Jesus Christ, that we start to look just like Jesus as we grow up in Christ. And the passage that we're looking at today further clarifies and further explains what growth in Christian maturity really looks like. And it is about killing your sin and living out the new life that we have received in Christ. So if you have your Bible with you today, I invite you to join me in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. And stand, if you're able, uh, in honor of God's Word as I read uh, verse 17 down through verse uh, uh, 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, we want to put on Christ. We want to put on the new life we have received and to take off all that which belongs to our old life and old way who we used to be before we knew you. Father, I pray you would help us to see today as we look at your word closely where we need to do one and where we need to do the other. Father, help us to see clearly our sin. And repent of it. Help us to clearly see where we have not yet put on Christ. And to put Him on today. And to walk in newness of life. And Father, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would guide us in all these things. By His illuminating power and by His transforming work. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you look at uh, verse 17, you will see that it begins with a command and one that we must pay attention to. When Paul says, I say this and I testify in the Lord, what he is telling us here is that these are not his own ideas. Amen? That when the Scripture is written to us, this is not some man's exalted idea about what it would look like to follow Jesus. This is the inspired writing of, of the Scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so when he says, I say this and I testify in the Lord, he's telling us, I'm not making this up. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my truth, to use a currently popular term, right? This is God's truth revealed to us in the Word of God. And when God speaks in the Word, He speaks clearly. And so he says, look here, uh, I say this and testify in the Lord, 
And what follows is this. It's mandatory for those who follow Jesus to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What does that mean? It means that that it is no longer, if we are believers in Christ, acceptable for you and I to live the way that we used to live before we knew Jesus. That there is a transformation that takes place in us through Christ and that that transformation should show up in how we live. And in fact, in every part of how we live. And and why is that? Because the, the life of the unsaved is a life lived in sin. It is a life controlled by, devoted to, and lived in pursuit of sin. In rebellion against the one, in other words, who loves us and gave himself for us. And so he says, I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer live like someone who doesn't know Jesus. Because if you love Jesus and He loves you, that love is, results in a transformed life. And what verse 17 through 19 are, what they reveal to us, is how the Gentiles live. And this, it's, it's interesting, the way it's written is, as if it is a, a have y'all ever been on a spiral staircase where it just goes down and down and down and down and down, right? And it just kind of just kind of augers in, right? And uh, and and if you are an unbeliever, then your life does that same thing. That the longer you live in sin, the worse your life becomes, and it just augers in further and further. And further, and the first step on that staircase of an unbelieving life is what the Scripture says is the futility of their thinking. The word futility carries the idea of emptiness. Of thinking that fails to achieve its purpose. That they think, but their minds don't come to a correct conclusion about what is good or true. Have you noticed of recent that we now in our culture have to debate a lot of things about what ought to be obvious, about what is true, what is right, what is good? And that we can see the wreckage of the result of not recognizing what is true and right and good all around us, and yet people still want to argue with you about what is true and right and good? Why is that? Because an unbeliever's thinking is futile. It does not achieve its purpose. Its purpose, the reason that you are given a mind is that you might understand and know and walk with God. But the thinking of an unbeliever leads them directly opposite Him. And so it is futile. And why is that? Well, because verse 18 says they're darkened in their understanding. What it means is, is that, it, that sin actually corrupts our ability to think. And we think 
that we're coming as unbelievers to truthful con conclusions about what is true and what is moral. But in reality, we're coming to the wrong conclusions because our understanding is darkened by our sin. And it corrupts our ability to understand how best to live life. Because our understanding is dark. And verse 18 goes on to say that sinners are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Do you see that? I want to unpack each phrase of that for a minute. Uh, to be alienated from God means that you have no good relationship with Him. Maybe you all have friends that you used to have. I have a few of those. I used to have this person as a friend, but now we're not friends anymore. Something happened, and there's a falling out, and try as you might, you can't put it back together. And why can't you put it back together? Because you're alienated from one another. Well, a sinner is alienated from God. Uh, they have declared themselves by their sin to be God's enemy, and they live their lives in hostility to Him and have separated themselves from Him. A sinner, according to verse 18, is also ignorant. They do not know that the way that they are living is sinful and self-destructive. In fact, being a sinner means that you do many of the things that you do fully believing that they are good and will lead to blessing. And in fact, they will lead inexorably to self-destruction and to death and to judgment. And if you're with me so far, you might, you might be tempted to think that this is just some kind of thing that happens. Some unfortunate set of circumstances that are the natural result of being a sinner, but really not their fault. Because after all, they're sinners, they don't know any better. But look at the end of verse 18. You see what it says there? My Bible reads, due to the hardness of their hearts. The underlying Greek there uh, actually references stone-hearted. Stone-hearted. It's not just that they are, that they are uh, unable to respond to God's Word is that they are unwilling to respond to God's Word. That when given God's Word and what it says, it bounces off of them like bullets off the old off Superman's chest and the old Superman thing. Y'all remember that? You see Superman and you know they, the bad guys that shoot at him? I love this, right? On the, on the really old one that was black and white, they would shoot at Superman, right? Boom, 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 boom. You know, they'd run the run the, the gun dry and the bullets are just going pew, 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 right? And then they'd throw the gun at him and he'd duck, which I thought was hilarious, right? Because obviously the bullet is coming faster than that gun is. But uh, in any case, the um, you know, the idea is that that the the penetrating power of God's Word does not penetrate their heart because they have a stone heart that is not just unable to respond to God's Word, it is unwilling. And the reason they are hardened is because they like living 
the way that they live. They're not, they don't recognize themselves as slaves to sin. They are happily living in slavery to it. And because of these things, they continue even further down the spiral staircase into even more entrapment by sin. It says that sinners are callous. You know what callous is? It's your body's natural response to losing skin cells to friction. Now, one of my first jobs when I was in high school, I worked for my dad. He owned a lumber company at the time. And my job was to go around, um, I was, I think, 16 or 17 at the time, and so I wasn't able to operate any machinery. And so what that meant was, I would go around and I would pick up scrap lumber and nail it together and make what are called pilers, where you use, you use these things to stack big uh, stacks of lumber. You know, the lumber comes in off a train on, in big bundles, and then you need a way to stack the, the uh, 2x4s or the 2x6s uh, or 2x12s or whatever in, up on top of one another in a... Um, in a warehouse, and you would nail together pieces of scrap and have these pilers so that you could get the fork, uh, forklift blades in between the various stacks. And so all summer long, I would get there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I had my hammer and a pouch full of nails, and I would walk around and I'd pick up these pieces of scrap two by four, and I would nail them together. Well, by the end of it, was, it was a great job. Paid me six twenty-five an hour. I was like really in the chips at the time, right? Uh, but I, I swung a hammer so long that summer that, that I actually had ridges on my right hand where there were calluses at each knuckle that when, they, when my hand was together like this, like it would be around a hammer handle, I, I had like a, a leather mitt around that hammer handle because of just where the where the calluses would meet up together. And, and I had no feeling. I had like little ridges on my fingers. Uh, and I, I waited until the, uh, till the end of summer when I was going back to school and I got a piece of pumice and scrubbed all those off, right? Because uh, it looked weird. But in any case, I had a lot of dead skin on my hand. But your body naturally does that to protect you from something that rubs up against it repeatedly. And you become callous to God because when He rubs against you and is intending to make you more sensitive to His Word, you reject it. And the more you reject what you have heard, the more callous you become and you get to where you can't experience God's conviction about anything. And you spiral further down to the last step to people who have fully given themselves up to sensuality. Meaning they have surrendered fully to the pursuit of sin and they become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, not every unbeliever goes through all of these steps 
you see, uh, at least in every possible way. But this does happen. Have you seen people who have just decided, look, I only get one trip around the merry-go-round of life, and so I'm going to grab all I can before it passes me by. I'm going to let my freak flag fly. Amen? You've seen this. And this is the process that that the Scripture is outlining that goes down and down and down and down, further and further away from God, further and further hardened to hearing His voice. And the reality is that sin always aims for the maximum. So every, uh, every lustful glance would be adultery if it could be. And if you feed it, it will be. Sooner or later. Every, every envious uh, uh, glance at somebody else's stuff would be full-blown greed if you feed it. Every, the more you feed sin, the more hardened you become to it. And Paul says, you who are believers cannot get on this staircase. Because it will take you down and it will take you further away from God and it will harden you to His voice. You cannot continue to live like an unbeliever. And when you don't know Jesus, what you do is you try to grab whatever joy you can find in this life, but that is not the Christian way of life. It is something much better. It's not a descent into the darkness of sin, but it is an ascent out of that pit into a life of increasing Christ-likeness. Amen? Look at the rest of the text here with me. Verses 20-24. to These outline the reverse of this process. Uh, There's a strong contrast there in verse 20 to everything that came before it. Do you see it? But that is not the way that you learned Christ. That is not the way that you learned Christ. In addition to that contrast, we should note that verses 20 and 21 are using the language of education to talk about how we grow. And the first thing we should see is that Christ is the subject of our growth, the subject of our education. Uh, Meaning that when we become Christians, when it says we learn Christ, that we're not simply learning about Him, although the text mentions that, but that we are learning Him. That He is the subject of our learning and that we begin to imitate Him in how He speaks and how He thinks and how He acts. That we imitate not just is uh, we just don't just follow him in faith, but we imitate his life that we are taking on. That our goal is to become like Jesus, and how we think, and how we speak, and how we act. Uh, you know, Jesus said it this way: that a student, when he is fully trained, is what like his teacher. 
And we are invited into a life of following Jesus. Christ is our teacher, and He teaches us to imitate His life through the Word of which He is the subject, and by the Spirit whom He has given to conform us to His likeness. And not only is Christ the subject and the teacher of the Christian's life, He is also the atmosphere in which our learning takes place. Do you see that? Through the Spirit of God, we are in Christ. And so in verse 21, it says that you are taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. So in contrast to those who are wandering down into the darkness of sin, uh, Jesus is leading us into the light of truth that is found fully and supremely in Himself. That He is the embodiment of truth. He is the source of truth. And so as we come into relationship with Him, as we uh, come to imitate Him, as we come to be more and more like Him, the truth is in Jesus. And so we become, because we are in Christ, we are in Him and we are in the truth as well. Now look at what we learn when, as Paul says, that we learn Christ. This is what it says. That we learn, first of all, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, I don't know about you, but I have, I have clothes I wear to church on Sunday that are nicer. And then I have like clothes I work out in and clothes that I work in. So I have paint clothes, right? Uh, because I'm not... I'm not a professional painter. Uh, I, I paint, but not well, right? And, and so I get some on me from time to time, right? So I want some clothes that, uh, you know, that I can, if I get it, smear across the shirt or uh, drop a big drop on uh, the shoulder blade isn't a big deal, right? So I take the funkiest, nastiest clothes that I've got and I paint in those, right? And they have, you know, they have, uh, they're kind of, the, the t-shirts that are painting related are kind of pitted out. They kind of have a, an aroma to them even after they've just come out of the dryer. They kind of still stink, right? And, um, and, you know, it's, but who cares, right? Because they're going to be filthy anyway. What difference does it make? But when I want to take Karen on a date, I don't say, oh, hang on, let me put on my paint clothes, right? I don't do that. I take off that which is filthy and funky and spotted and gross, and I, even though it fits just fine, and I put on that which is new and clean and holy for what I'm about to do, right? And in the same way, the idea that Paul is presenting here is that our old life is like a set of funky clothes that we used to wear. And now we need to take them off. They might fit us well because we had worn them for so long that we had gotten comfortable in them, but now we're called to strip off all that is filthy and to be dressed anew. 
And how do we do this? How do we live this new life? Uh, step one is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, like verse 23 says. What does that mean? Let me explain. Uh, you and I do what we do because we think what we think. You do what you do because you think what you think. Uh, our behavior is always a function of what we really believe deep down in our hearts. And so that means that every act of sin is at the bottom of it, rooted in unbelief. You hear me? Every act of sin is rooted in unbelief. We don't believe that God will provide for us. We don't believe that God will meet our needs in some way. We don't believe that God is really that good. We believe that God is withholding something good from me that I really need in order to be happy and joyful in life. And so what we do is we try to go get it for ourselves through sin. Conquering sin then requires changing our minds about who God is, about what He is like, about what sin is, and about what it does to us, and what it does for us. And it is a process, but it is vital that we get God's perspective integrated into our minds. And also, let me be clear, not just our minds, but into our emotions. Because, let's be honest, most of us are not, are not what we are often described as. We're not, we're not rational, we're rationalizing. Okay? And we make decisions not based on cold, Vulcan-like calculation, but based on how we feel. And so, the Word of God gets, needs to transform not just our thinking, but our emotions too. Because sometimes what we think, really and truly, is that what God is asking me to, to do is not really nice. And it doesn't feel very good. And so I just don't want to do it. Because doing it would make me uncomfortable and I wouldn't feel great about it. And it's hard. And so I'm just going to do something else. But that is not an excuse. And what we need is the renewal of our mind. Not just what we think about, but what we have come to conclusions about that affect how we feel. And to do what God calls us to do in a way that reshapes how we feel. And reshapes what we think. And what we believe to be true about Him so that it comes into conformity with God's own Word about what He is like and who He is. Transformation begins in our mind with renewed thinking. And verse 24 gives us step two to putting on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God originally created us, the Scripture says, to be His image bearers. Remember uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 talks about that uh, God said, let us make man in our image. And in the image of God, He created uh, him. In the image of God, cre He created them. 
husband and wife as the image bearers of God. And we were created to be like Him in every way except finite. And we were created to reflect His nature. And when we come to Christ, His image is restored uh, in us and we put on the new self that we have been given. And putting on the new self results in the renewing of our minds. And it's required if we're going to put off the old one, but the thing is we're so comfortable with sin that we naturally tend to go back to it if we don't replace it with something. To give you a non-spiritual example, consider that uh, if what you do with your life is eat donuts all of the time, and you start doing, and you decide, you know what, I really need to get a healthier diet, so I'm going to stop eating donuts, but they were about 90% of what you ate, you're going to need to replace those calories somewhere with something. Ideally with something like fruit. Maybe some broccoli or zucchini or something green, right? Uh, you know, you're going to need to replace that nutrition that you were getting from a bad source was something better, right? Because in order to get healthy, you're going to have to not just put off that which was harming you, but you're going to have to feed your body what it needs. And in the same way, if you're going to replace sin, if you're going to get rid of sin in a permanent way, you're going to have to replace it with something else. And that something else needs to be healthy. We need to replace it with finding our joy, our purpose, our needs, our desires met in Christ as we become more like Him. Amen? Because we don't just put off, we also put on. We put off that which belongs to our old life, but we replace it by putting on Christ. We put on His nature as our minds are renewed as we start to live out the new life that we have. Now, next week, we're going to look in more detail about what putting on the new self includes, because there's a whole lot of stuff. In fact, you could say that the rest of the book explains in more detail about what putting on the new self involves and includes. But for, for us right now, I want to challenge us to look closely at the life that you're currently living. The truth of God's Word is that through Christ, we are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone away and the new has come. Amen? We are new in Christ. And we have learned Christ from His Word and through the Holy Spirit. And since we are in Him, we are called to be about the process of continually putting off the old self and the old life we used to live with its sin and put on Christ instead. So my question for each of us as we wrap up our time in the Word today is this. How's it going? How are you doing with that? Are you growing in Christ? Are you growing to be more and more like Him? Are you increasingly putting off that which belonged to your old self, your old life, who you used to be before you met Jesus? And are you growing more and more like Christ as you continue to pursue Him as your source of life and joy 
and the one in whom your desires are fully met, are you seeing Him as the purpose and the point of your life in an increasing way? Maybe the Holy Spirit of God has been speaking to you as we've been looking at the Scriptures about a particular area of your life that He has shown you that you need to put off. Maybe it's a habitual sin you have practiced for as long as you can remember. Maybe you're prone to gossip. That's kind of a respectable sin sometimes, right? Doesn't get a lot of press. Nobody ever got fired from their job because they were a gossip, right? But God hates it. Maybe you're prone to outbursts of anger. Maybe your heart is hardened about the fact that you pridefully believe that everyone is entitled to your opinion. Now we're meddling, preacher. Right? Uh, Gone from preaching right to meddling. Right? But here's the thing. Is it possible for us to pridefully believe that our opinion must be shared about everything? Yes. Maybe you are judgmental toward your brothers and sisters under the shame of pornography addiction or alcoholism or secret drug use or lustfully feeding a a same-sex attraction or reading uh, those trashy so-called romance novels. Maybe you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or hooking up every chance you get with random people. Maybe you're committing adultery. Maybe you're not there yet, but you have been deleting emails and feeling guilty about your conversations with someone else for a while now. My dear brothers and sisters, Today is the day, and now is the time for putting off that which belongs to the old life. To, as I've said before, taking out your old life and putting it down like old yeller at the end of the movie. You feel me? For saying, I used to be a fornicator, and I will not be anymore because I am in Christ. I used to be a porn addict, and I am not anymore. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be an adulterer. I used to be greedy. I used to be a gossip. I used to be angry. I used to abuse my children. I used to yell at my wife and threaten her physically. I used to do these things, but now I am in Christ. And I am walking in the new life. I have put on Christ. I have learned His life. I am filled with His Holy Spirit. And I am not doing that garbage anymore. Now is the time 
for putting off the old self corrupted by deceitful desires that promise freedom and deliver slavery and live as free men and women living as the children of the light who live in the righteousness of the Christ they were created to enjoy. Wherever you are, whatever pit you have descended into, Christ is here right now to lead you out. And He can, and He does, and He will as you turn to Him. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, um, I don't know the spiritual state of every person's heart. If I'm honest, sometimes I don't even know my own heart. Because sin is, is corrupting and it is deceitful and it, and it sometimes makes us think we're more righteous than we are. Father, I pray that by Your Holy Spirit, You would be speaking powerfully to Your people and to me about any area of life where we have fallen into the deceitfulness of sin and believed things about You that are false uh, and that You are not really good and that the life that You promise is not really good. Father, deliver us from our unbelief. Deliver us from sin, Father, as we confess to You, as we repent, as we bring it forward into the light uh, of Your Word and with our friends. We share with them and say, I have been trapped in this. Help me and pray with them. Father, if there's anyone here who's never put their trust in Jesus Christ and has never experienced the new life we're, we're talking about, the new life that we're promised, uh, as we put our faith in Christ, I pray Your Holy Spirit would be speaking to them right now and bringing them before You as a new child of God as they put their trust in Jesus Christ and believe that He died for their sins, that every sin they've ever committed or ever will is washed away at the cross and that they are made new by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray they would believe today. Father, I pray that we might all grow in Christ-likeness. That we might learn Christ. That we might become like Him more and more and more as we abandon that which belongs to the old life and we put on Jesus our Savior. Father, I pray all these things in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus Christ. And by Your Holy Spirit's power. Amen.